Good morning and good coffee, everybody. Hey, it's time for some morning coffee with Larry, and I am glad you are joining me today. It is the, gosh, what is today? I just looked at it. Why am I forgetting? (laughs) It's the 9th. That's right. I was wanting to say it was the 8th, but it is the 9th of March, 2020. And I hope you all survive the uh, uh, time change uh, to... uh, to daylight savings time uh, here in Illinois, if if I understand the news right, they uh, they voted and this would be the last time change that we have that we're going to stay on daylight savings time. Uh, so as I look outside, it is um, let's see, it's what is the time? It's five twenty-two in the morning. But that's actually 422 by the sun, as my mom always says. And yeah, it's still dark out there. And uh, oh, that's one thing I don't like whenever there is the transition is, you know, it, it started getting light sooner. And that, I liked that, but now it's dark again. <laughs> but at least we got more sunlight in the evening. And I'll take more sunlight in the evening over more sunlight in the morning. I guess I do like, I like that part. So I hope you had a great weekend. I mean, it was beautiful around here and did a lot of stuff, uh, both Saturday and Sunday. Um, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. One of the grandsons was here and he actually did an initial tilling, uh, of our garden, uh, that was very much appreciated that he did that. Uh, so kudos to Josh. Uh, we had a lot of manure that uh, was that got scattered and now has been incorporated to some extent. We're going to have to do some more because there's some areas where it's like, I know there's soil around here somewhere, but it looks like what we've got is mostly just manure. So, <laughs> so we have that and and our new dog that I've talked a little bit about, Shy, who is the uh, rescue Great Pyrenees, uh, she is getting a tiny bit more comfortable with us. I don't see her as much as my wife does. Uh, she goes in and, and spends time with her daily. And um, so I did over the weekend go into her pen several times, and she's got a, a, a good size shelter. I guess it's about five foot by eight foot in size. And I, she always sits in the very back part of it and, and just kind of hides there. And I, um, and she, it's made out of pallets. So she's got slats that she's always looking out. Um, but I would sit in there and, uh, a few different times. She's now letting me pet her tail and pet on her, uh, uh, on her, you know, legs and stuff. So she's starting to, you know, you know, get a little bit more comfortable, uh, with us being there. She, uh, she won't eat, uh, if, if she's, if we're there, but she did smell some little dog kibble stuff that I kind of tossed, you know, one at a time in front of her yesterday. So she's, she's warming up. She's warming up a little bit. But we got a lot of stuff done. It was a good, fun weekend. I'm just really tired this morning. <laughs> so anyway, well, today I thought I would hop in on a topic that has been all over the news. And in a, in a sense, I've been kind of 
not wanting to jump into, but I thought I would on this particular topic or from this, this vantage point. And I want to talk a little bit about the coronavirus. Now, I don't have any special uh, inside information just because I work at a health clinic or anything like that. Uh, the numbers that, that I hear are the same numbers that, you know, you know are being reported. Um, you know, do I believe that the numbers are accurate? I think they're probably as accurate as realistically can be because, you know, are there people that may have it that don't say anything because the symptoms are somewhat similar to what's already just out there? when it comes to lung-based things, yeah, that's, that's definitely possible. And, and also, you know, just like with reporting of flu numbers, it's, it's based on people reporting and how many people get the flu and it's never reported. So basically, you know, what we're looking at is, you know, the numbers that I see are the same numbers that are, you know, everybody else sees. Um, but the, the, and I'm not going to say, you know, whether, you know, one way or the other or anything sensational. What I want to talk about is worry versus concern. Because um, there's, there's a lot of worry. There's a lot of fear. There's, you know, we're not to a place, you know, of panic. Um, but there's a lot of conversation, and some of those conversations, you know, if you if you use social media as a bit of a gauge of what people are thinking or talking about, you have what I would expect to see. You have some folks that uh, are very, very, very worried um, and scared. You have other people that are using uh, humor to deal with it. And there's plenty of funny memes out there regarding just the play on words of Corona uh, as a type of beer. And you have some folks that are, are saying, you know, this is being, you know, uh, through the news, it's talked about so much or the language that's used so much that it entices fear, it encourages fear. And, and, there, and some folks are saying, you know, hey, you just need to chill a little bit uh, and, and not be distressed as much. You know, some folks are worried about, uh, kind of like whenever there's a snowstorm coming and, you know, bad weather's coming. And it's like, oh my gosh, I got to get the bread and the milk and the bread and the milk and the bread, and the, you know, like they're going to make milk toast. Uh, <laughs> but I get what they're saying because people do as a whole, uh, kind of uh, can function in a bit of a, I don't know, what do I want to call it? Like on The Simpsons, a mob mentality. On that, on that cartoon show, you know, every now and then the, the citizens of Springfield are, are a mob and, and they even have the pitchforks and the, uh, you know, the torches to go along with it. But, you know, if there's going to be real bad weather in the wintertime coming, you know, bread shelves are empty, other you know, important things, you know, get emptied out because people want to make sure that if they are out of, you know, out of commission for a bit, that they have those kinds of things. And I guess when it comes to the, those two words that I mentioned, worry 
and concern. They are different. And the way that I define it whenever I'm doing therapy with people is worry is when our mind jumps to the worst case scenario, the worst that it could be. Concern, on the other hand, is what are the most logical, probable, you know, outcomes. Not the worst that it could be, because how often does the worst actually happen? It doesn't. I don't believe in worst case scenarios. And that is because I can always one-up anything with my imagination. You know, a worst-case scenario means it doesn't get any worse than this. And I'm like, yeah, it can. And I'll quickly give out four or five examples. And, and I had one person say, oh, my gosh, should I worry about that? No, you should not worry. You see, when you think about a worst-case scenario, you get paralyzed. Because a worst-case scenario overwhelms you. It overwhelms you and you get paralyzed and you can't basically do the things that would be reasonable to do. And that's where concern comes in. Concern does not jump to the worst case scenario. Concern says, what's the most probable, most likely thing to happen? Then let's figure out what to do with it because the most probable usually doesn't have anywhere near the emotional impact as a worst-case scenario. Yeah, we can deal with things that have less emotion. It's the emotion that wigs us out. We start personalizing it. We get overwhelmed. Then we can't do what we need to do. So we should be concerned. And, and so when we think about concern... Now it's like, okay, so what would be the concerns? What are the things that, you know, if the, the coronavirus comes into my area and, you know, what are things that make sense? You know, some of you may have tried and you know that, you know, the, uh, the paper surgical masks uh, in some areas, you know, stores don't have them anymore. Why? Because people started buying them up when there wasn't a reason for it. And, and from what I understand, it doesn't keep you from getting anything. It just keeps you from spreading it. Uh, so sometimes misconceptions can, can play a part. So if, let's say, you know, what is a reasonable Thing. If you if the coronavirus comes into your area and there's a larger number, not just one or two or five or ten, you know, depending on how big of a population area you're in, um, you know, when you're looking at measurable percentages of the population getting exposed to it or coming down with it, well, then what are things that would be reasonable, you know, to have? Well, I look at it this way. It's just kind of like in the wintertime if there's, you know, do ice storms hit? You know, do big snowstorms hit? Or sometimes, you know, especially if you uh, live in more rural area, do you sometimes get ice bound or snow bound? Well, yeah. That's a, that's a probable thing that can happen. Maybe not every year, but it does. And the same kind of thing here. If you need to, in essence, just... 
hunker down. If you have health issues and you, uh, you know, respiratory issues on an ongoing basis and you're not wanting to run the risk of exposure and it's in your area, not just, did you hear there's a case in Indiana or there's a case in Chicago? Well, one case means nothing on, on that part. Yes, it does for that person. Yes, it does for the people caring for that person. But le- again, let's not go into panic Worst case scenario, let's be logical. Let's be reasonable. Let's look at what's probable. So if if things do occur in your area and you need to, you know, avoid public settings, just like you may already do whenever there's influenza going through your town, what are things that you should have? Well, I'm I'm sitting here looking at my kitchen and let me put my glasses on so it's all in focus. Um, you know, I have, you know, storage shelves in my kitchen. I mean, they're called cabinets. Now, do you have, what do you have in your cabinets? Well, you've got hopefully a supply of food. You probably got some pots and pans and stuff. You probably have a bunch of stuff that you probably ought to get rid of because you've never eaten it. Uh, <laughs> You know, there's there's certain things up there that just seems to accumulate, and you don't know why it's there, <laughs> and it's just taking up space. But, you know, the things that you normally have, do you have a supply that is a reasonable amount? You know, if if you have lots of spaghetti, but you don't have spaghetti sauce, okay, if you, you know... Uh, the the idea of you know what what are things to have have the things you know more than just a few day supply in your cabinets and you probably are there already you're probably there already um because most people i don't think they just keep only a two or three day supply because there you're running at a higher risk if just something happens you're you know, boom, you're out of food. But if you have a reasonable amount so that if you do have to avoid going out, then you have that supply. Um, could it be more than that in with this particular, you know, virus if there was, you know, if it was hitting widespread in your area? Yeah, you might need to have something a little bit more. Uh, Am I recommending or suggesting you need to plan for the apocalypse? No, because that's a worst-case scenario. That's a worst-case scenario. So what is the most reasonable? I guess what I'm saying is it's very easy if you watch a lot of, you know, the, the mainstream media, if you watch a lot of cable television where, you know, on the, on the news programs where they just keep talking about it and talking about it and talking about it because basically they only cover five stories a day and they just keep rehashing it and repeating it with the same, uh, with, with different commentators, you know, to talk about the same thing. Uh, and if you're sitting there watching two, three, four hours a day of that, yeah, it's, it's going to be so much in your face, you're going to be worried but with concern, here's what I need to be prepared for. This is what I have. And boom, I'm good to go. You don't have to worry about it anymore. 
You don't have to worry. You've you've met your needs. You've got you you know you have a concern. You you address it. Now go on. It's kind of like with your car. Well, what happens if you get in a car wreck and now all of a sudden you've got you know more expenses to repair your car than what you have you know money in the bank? Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Well, they have this thing called car insurance, automobile automobile insurance. A lot of states require you have it before you're legally allowed to drive. And so now once you have the car insurance, do you continue to worry, oh my gosh, if I get in a wreck, I won't be able to pay it because I don't have that much money? No, you've already met that by having the car insurance. So you don't worry about it. Not that you drive recklessly, but you don't worry about something because you already took care of it. So when it comes to, you know, just, you know, whatever, you know, happens in your area with with the uh, the virus, um, you know, just think about how are you normally prepared when it comes to flu season, and whatever the different things floating around. You know, a lot of people get flu shots. Is that a guarantee that you won't get the flu? No, because there's different strains, and they make their you know, in essence, their flu cocktails based upon what they believe. The, the strains are going to be in what geographical areas. So it's not 100% guarantee. So what do you have? Do you have, you know, a can of Lysol in your house? You know, if somebody is sick, then you can use that. Do you have uh, hand sanitizer if you're going to be caring for somebody that is sick? Yeah, I mean, we all pretty well have that. Do you need to have a case of 20? That might be a little bit of overkill. You know, uh, it, not that it goes bad, but, you know, unless you calculate and you have, you know, that in your pantry because you just normally buy a lot and keep it in a pantry. See, pantries are something that people used to have. They used to have in, you know, your old farmhouses. There was a room that was the pantry. And you would keep, you know, a supply of food. You know, as I look here on the farmstead, my grandparents, they would raise the food that they would eat. They didn't go to the store for food that they could raise. They went to the store for flour. They went to the store for sugar. They went to the store for things that they had to buy, such as, you know, yeast uh, for making bread. But otherwise... Whatever they ate, they raised. They had a huge potato patch. They had potatoes in their cellar, but there was a larger cellar at uh, my grandpa's dad's, my great-grandpa's house, and they would keep the extra potatoes there. But they, they raised a year's worth of potatoes and then ate on them the whole next year. Actually, they would try to raise a year and a half's worth of food. That because you couldn't predict whether the next year was going to be a good year or a bad year. So that that was a possibility. So they would address that concern by planting more food than what they planned on eating. And grandma had hundreds of mason jars and she would can tomatoes. She would can green beans. They would dry out peas. They would... Uh, uh, dry out other beans. They would have, uh, they had a freezer, so they put some of the, the food in freezer boxes and kept it in the deep freeze. They had their dried goods. 
and they just had, you know, their, their, in essence, their pantry that they would go to for their food. And so some folks do it that way. That's perfectly fine. That doesn't mean that you have to, you know, build your house like a, you know, a fort. It just means this is how you, you plan. You don't go to the store on a daily basis. I know of some folks that live in apartments in larger cities, they don't have the, um, uh, the room space to, to have a pantry. You know, they, so they are in more of a buy on a daily basis because they, you know, they have a, a little grocery shop that has produce and stuff. Um, they're on their block. So they, they are used to the buy as you go, you know, uh, you know, on a daily basis. A lot of them, they don't have more than a week's worth of food in their house. You know, that runs a bit, you know, from my perspective, that runs a bit of a higher risk, but that's one of the, the, the problems that people have in very small apartments in big cities is you don't have the luxury of being able to have a pantry. So they are living on things arriving just in time. So that, that always is, you know, to me is a bit of a concern, but that's, that's kind of the trade-off, you know, uh, of what you have there. So the main thing I just want to share with you is that, you know, there, the, you know, this particular virus that is all over the news, you can either worry about it or you can just be concerned about it. You will have a much better, you know, uh, experience, I guess you could say, with it if you're concerned and do things rather than worry and panic and be fretful and distressed and thinking about worst case scenarios because you won't have a good experience with it even if you never get it because you'll be freaking out. <laughs> so don't do that. Freaking out, usually never good. So just be concerned, take care of your needs, and then continue on your daily activities. And, you know, if you want to keep an eye on things about it with the news, fine. Just don't obsess over it. Because when you obsess, obsess over one thing, you're not able to do on other things. All right? Well, that's it for today. I hope this was helpful and that you can apply worry versus concern to other areas of life. All right, well, we will catch you all tomorrow. Have a great one, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye.